Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and today we're back in the podcast studio, and I've got another special guest with us coming to us all the way. I'm making an assumption here, but sunny Southern California. When is Southern California not sunny? But our guest today is Robert Duran. Robert, is it sunny in, in SoCal today? Yes, it's about 72 and about 85% humidity. So I'm like, I rode this morning. It's, <laughs> yeah, but it's nice. Southern California. It's uh, when it gets over 75, it, you know, then it gets too hot. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we're in Connecticut and it's like 80, it was 70 this morning when I ran. I'm a runner. So I got up early this morning to try to get some miles in. And the, I think the humidity index was like at a 90 this morning. I literally came back. I was like, it's, we're in the dog days of August here in New England. So what happens is, you know, we, we get the heat early in June and July, August doesn't get to be too hot, but the humidity just, we just get socked with humidity and it just like sticks around. It's, it's the bad hair month is what I call it. Cause if you got a lot of curly hair, it just, there's no way to straighten it out. It's just going to frizz up. <laughs> uh, but, I can tell you a lot about that. Yeah. I don't have hair, but you know what, through all the treatment, I don't have eyebrows and I have eyelashes. Right. So yeah. I remember what they're for. They keep things from getting in your eyes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Oh man. Well, thank you for joining us today. I know we were catching up before we hit record, so I'm excited to have you on. I know I've I've kind of peeked a little bit at your journey um, with pancreatic cancer, and, and so I'm excited to hear more about it. And we were talking a little bit catching up here before we hit record. I know you're you're active um, writing, and and I believe you did some running too as well. You've been you've been a pretty active guy through all this and before that. So um, with that, I'm going to hand the mic over to you. And as is customary, as I said, this is uh, your chance and your opportunity to share with our audience kind of your journey with pancreatic cancer. And as I said before. You can stay as high level as you want, and you can go as far back as you'd like as well. And with that, the microphone is yours, Robert. All right, great. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Dino. Uh, I'll start. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Robert Duran, and I am a four-time pancreatic cancer survivor. And um, I'm currently stage four. And um, I was initially diagnosed in 2014. Uh, 2014 is when I was diagnosed. Uh, I had your standard first line of therapy, standard of care, uh, 5-FU with uh, the Ivanatecan and oxaliplatin. And then I was on that regimen for a few months, and then I switched to Gemsarbraxine. And then after that, I had some radiation and uh, Enzalota, which is a, an oral type chemo, so to speak. And I did that regimen for six months because I was one of the lucky ones. Um, I was a candidate for, for surgery, first and foremost, uh, even though I was stage two and a half, stage three. And it was in the, in the uh, mid-distal portion of my pancreas. So I wish I could say that uh, I had surgery once and radiation once and I'm cancer-free, but no. Uh, after the surgery, I was uh, in remission, and then the cancer came back. It came back in 2000 and, uh, 2017, and when it came back, it was in my GI area, not in the pancreas, but it was just in the omentum, the fatty layer surrounding the uh, gallbladder, and um at that point, I went under another six months of chemotherapy. And this time it was uh, a Braxane along with an oral pill uh, made by Pfizer, uh, Papocyclic, brand name is Ibrance, and that was an oral uh, drug. It was, um, it's a checkpoint inhibitor, breaks, breaks the cell cycle. So your body uh, can't reproduce the uh, bad cells. That's what it does, right? It just keeps reproducing, uh, reproducing bad cells. Uh, and so I was on that for six months. And after that, I got surgery. And so again, um, beating the odds here, I mean, someone who had surgery uh, two and a half years previous to my second, uh, I guess the reoccurrence, it's pretty, pretty unfound, right? And once you're metastatic at that point, okay, there's, uh, what do we do? But I was lucky. I made surgery, 
And um, when I had surgery, they tried a, a novel uh, treatment. So I was the first person patient at uh, UCSD San Diego to get uh, HIPAC. Um, basically, they took gemcitabine full strength, heated it up to, I don't know, 107 degrees Fahrenheit, poured it in me. Shook me around to rock music. <laughs> he asked me what kind of music I wanted to play. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> doctors like listening. <laughs> yeah, doctors like listening to uh, to music, and and not to be insensitive, I, I think the uh, the medical within the medical community, the HIPEC, which is now a pretty standard procedure for some GI cancers, I think they call it the shake and bake. It's yes, it's the shake and bake. I had yeah, I had a. a yeah, I had a doctor or, yeah, they were on my foot, behind my head, to my left and right. And I said, play some yeah. journey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It was it. for them, not me, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. First one at uh, San Diego. You see San Diego to get uh, that cheaper treatment for pancreatic cancer. And then I was in remission. And uh, I think I had recovered four days and I was back on my bike. I shouldn't have been, but I was. Um <laughs> Uh, and so I had another period of remission and then in 2018, it came back. It just keeps coming back. Story of my life. This time, uh, it metastasized to my left lung and I chose to not undergo chemo. I chose a, a good quality of life. I wanted to not give my body, um, supercharged weed killer, so to speak. Right. I mean, I say weed killer is actually better than chemo because at least you can say, Mr. Weed Killer, kill this crab or crabgrass, but don't kill this cell, right? Or don't kill this grass. With chemo, it just kills everything. Mm -hmm. So I chose no chemo and uh, we watched it. We basically did surveillance mode. And finally, when it grew from two millimeters to five millimeters to eight, it started doubling, right? And once it picks up steam, it grows. And I said, take it out. And so I had a left lung lobectomy in 2019. And in um, about three weeks, I was back on the bike. I was doing a little bit of running. And um, so flash forward to, I guess what, or flash back to October of uh, 21, September of 2021, uh, came back again. And this time it came back in my right lung, not my left. And then it came back in my liver. And so I went back on the Abraxane and uh, Ibrance. And by the way, uh, the Ibrance and Abraxane that I took back in 2017 uh, was part of a clinical trial. And from what I understand, Ibrance or Pavlociclib still hasn't been approved uh, by the FDA as a oral drug, immunotherapy, right, uh, for pancreatic cancer. So I had to get it off-label, and I had to fight with insurance to and go through peer review, right? So those are the minefields that you kind of have to navigate through uh, as a pancreatic cancer patient. And I'm familiar doing that, familiar with doing that because I've been living with it um, for, for some time now. And uh, so I was on, let's see, Abraxane and... Um, Ibrance uh, for 10 months. Uh, the cycle was every week for three weeks. I get a one week off and then it starts all over again. And um, so at this point, I just continued to work, continued to ride my bike hundreds of miles a month, uh, ride to chemo, ride after chemo, <laughs> uh, and just tried to live a normal life because that's all really what I wanted to do with a, as a pancreatic cancer patient live a normal life, get treated normally, right? Uh, and so I did that and I was offered or presented with an opportunity to enroll in a clinical trial. And because I've survived so long and I've failed for a lack of a better word, um, all of the standards of care is first line, second line and anything else they can throw at me, right? Uh, they said, Robert, we've got this clinical trial. It's here at UCSD. 
and we're looking into CAR T therapy. CAR T therapy being the new, you know, cutting edge core uh, treatment for cancer uh, came from leukemia, right? And uh, the response rates have been pretty good. Success rates have been good uh, compared to chemo, right? Um, and so they said, if you had this particular gene, I'm um, sorry, protein uh, expressed in the surface area of your tumor, uh, and if you had it in sufficient quantities, and if you passed all the tests, and you qualify, you do all the screenings, uh, this is something that we can uh, do for you. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And I jumped at the chance because um, chemotherapy is not a cure. And so I wanted to do something that would not only help me survive or perhaps get long-term immunity, whatever long-term immunity is, right? Obviously a lifetime, right? But would be great. Uh, but also help other pancreatic cancer patients, but not necessarily pancreatic cancer patients, but all cancer patients, all cancer patients that have solid tumor. And if this works, I'm hoping it will get FDA approval. And I'm hoping that in the future, CAR-T therapy would be given or offered as an option to all pancreatic cancer patients and cancer patients worldwide without having to go through chemo. And how is that? How would that be if the, you know, in a world where you can fight cancer without having to get chemotherapy and it turns into something where we'll take your blood cells out, we'll re-engineer them and we'll grow them into billions We'll put them back in you in an, in an IV, and then your body fights it, gets a fever, and you're done. And imagine all this without having to be poisoned uh, by chemotherapy, and um, you have a better quality of life. And so I chose to stop chemo, which was arguably the only thing that was keeping me alive the last 10 months uh, to go for this particular treatment, hopefully help scientists and researchers what cure the incurable, so to speak. And I'm rolling the dice, but it's a, uh, but it seems like a good one. And um, at the risk of disease progression, but I've been with, I've been living with chemo for eight years now. And so it's familiar to me and um, what I always tell, tell people is patience is that when I was first diagnosed, I was told that the survival rate, this goes back to 2014 was 6% or 7%. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's pretty low. And now we're in the double digits, low double digits. It's been eight years, nine years, right? Since I was eight years since I was diagnosed. And what I always tell patients is be strong, be healthy, get out, get some exercise as much as you can, because you want to be as healthy as you can be to order in order to receive the therapy that you're going to get and let that do the work. So mentally, be strong as well, physically, and stay alive, move the chains so you get another first down because scientists and researchers come up with uh, new advanced treatment every day. And uh, that's what I've been doing and it's been eight years. And so that's my story in a nutshell. Wow. Robert, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 55. I lost track telling my kids I was 29 for so many years. When I got to the hospital and to the ER, when I first was diagnosed, they asked me how old I was. I said it was 29. And my wife said, you're not 29. I said, I don't know how old I am. How old are your kids? Uh, I have a son who's uh, 
who's 14 and I have a daughter who's 10. Wow. Yeah. So my daughter has only known me, right? Living with cancer, so to speak, pretty much. Yeah. Right. And my son, you know, he found out when, you know, eight years ago. Right. So if you do the math. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I, I feel like I have, like I said, 16 and 18 and like, they don't remember like 10 like they, they, I mean, they don't remember like six years when they were six. Like I, I Facebook no. memories is great. Like I bring up pictures like, Hey, remember when we were on vacation? Look how small you guys and like, I don't remember that dad. Yeah, they don't remember. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's, it's hard. Like that's crazy. So first of all, amazing story. Um, I want to go back to the very, very beginning. Cause you're an active guy. Have you always been this active in terms of writing? And, and I mean, I don't want to make assumptions. I know, you know, people who live in, in especially Southern Cal tend to be active. Like they're surfing, they're walking, they're running, they're biking because the weather out there is just unbelievable. So, you, you know, you got to be into the outdoors and getting outdoors and being in that active lifestyle here in air quotes as I do it on, on video, but not on audio. So was that part of your life before you got sick? I was pretty active. Um, I... I, I was I was pretty active. I did a, some running, a lot of running. I hmm. played hockey, believe it or not. Um, played hockey uh, on the West Coast. So we're not talking East Coast college hockey, <laughs> right? But we did play some teams. It came from the East Coast, and you yeah. know they were they were fourth. You know they were scrubs, right? They fourth <laughs> line, right? Junior, junior, yeah. junior varsity. You know division. You know uh, two schools even, right? But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it was fun, and so I was always healthy, and I was always just an active, very competitive person at the time, and so yeah, I, I don't have any, any 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 cancer or any pancreatic yeah any cancer in in, in my family. So there's uh, no the family, so no family history. But then let's talk about like signs and symptoms. Like so, life was normal, and then how did that? How did the diagnosis happen? Did you experience like what were what were your symptoms and signs that kind of brought you there? Uh, after college, I, I gained a little bit of weight. Just wasn't so active, and then um, so I was still active though, right? And so I I was one of those guys where even though I was a little heavy. And I was able to, you know, uh, perform for, for whatever reason it, I, I was, my weight really didn't stop me. Okay. Whatever that means. Right. So I just, I kept eating. Right. So I wasn't always lean. And so I was five foot 10 and I was roughly about 218 pounds. A lot of muscle, but again, a lot of muscle or some fat around there. Um, but I ate, I, sometimes I ate two breakfasts. I would eat two dinners, two lunches, just, and so, you know, that possibly. You like food. Contributed. Yeah. You like food. Uh, and, and, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stereotype here. So oh, yeah. doing the math, like, so I'm 48. So you were 47, around 47 when you were diagnosed going back a year. So your kids were six and two, like, you know, now this thing is like the dad bod, right? So, you know, yeah. So you're, you were a dad, right? Like, and you're yeah, active yeah. and, you know, I, and, and I think, uh, like, you're, I, I just feel like you're beating yourself up a little bit on the weight thing. I think <laughs> yeah. as a 47, 48 year old guy, I'm like hovering around like 205 here, Robert. So like 218 is not that far off. I'm six one, So I got a couple inches, but still though, like, I'm like, all right, that's not yeah. that heavy, man. <laughs> you know, and I still move. I still move. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. My mom, you know, being a Filipino family was always, you're eating, you're eating all uh, the time. Cause we didn't know, you know, when their next meal was going to be when they were growing up. Yeah. So there was always a rice, right. Yeah. Always around. Right. And she's always feeding me, always feeding my friends. So I was just addicted to food. Right. Yeah. And yeah, again, I, I don't know, but you know, later on I had, I had some onset diabetes at a young age, but mm. it wasn't so bad. I was always active. So it was always kind of, you know, I was okay with, it. I wasn't, it wasn't yeah. causing me any issues, but it was, it was, it was, it wasn't too high, but it was there, but I ignore, I had ignored that. Right. And now we know there's potentially some relationship now with right diabetes and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and being a risk factor for having pancreatic cancer. Right. Uh, but yeah, so 
whenever I had some pain uh, back in 2014, end of 2013, I thought, well, maybe I just had too much habanero sauce, right? I mean, I live in San Diego. There's a lot of breakfast places here where I can get a breakfast burrito, right? And I would get a breakfast burrito and I just put my habanero on it and I would ha have at it. And so kind of started that way. So my symptoms were just a little bit of stomach pain, uh, a little bit of indigestion, a little bit, and then kind of went on and on and I was stuck with uh, uh, my GP for two months trying to figure out what was going on and mm. they didn't, they didn't catch it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was interesting how that happened because uh, I had lost about 20 pounds throughout the two months and uh, no one had thought to give Robert a CT scan or an MRI. It was just, and you hear this all the time, I'm sure. Oh, you know, it could be some, here's some antacids, take the antacids, right? Oh, well, maybe if that's not working, well, maybe we'll test you for like maybe a stomach infection, bacterial infection. Do you have like mm -hmm. H. pylori? You know, that test comes back positive, but it's like, oh, well, you, that just means you were exposed to it sometime previously, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, so what about an endoscopy? Oh, we're not there yet, right? If I went to the, got an endoscopy, they would have found it two months yeah. earlier. I was actually set myself up for an endoscopy. I decided to take matters in my own hands, schedule endoscopy outside of my GP. Yeah, because they were still on the whole Z-Pack. Here's your third regimen of antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, so that's kind of how it happened. And I started just being very nauseous uh, one night a week. Then it was uh, two nights a week. Then it was every day after I ate about in the evenings, everything that I ate starting at breakfast would just come out. And so I would lay on my side in pain, writhing, writhing, writhing in pain on my side until the witching hour, I called it. And that's when everything came back out. And of mm. course I felt better, but then again, it would repeat as soon as I would start eating again. And I, that went on for about a week and a half, a week. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? So, right. Nobody decided to send me to like to eat. You know. To yeah. so an yeah to a GI to see like what's maybe you had something in your esophagus or you know to do the yeah. EUS because you would think if you're throwing up so often like that, you know. And, th and this is like, I know before we hit record we <laughs> we went down this rabbit hole which we'll go down here in a second or we'll go down right now. You know, <laughs> it's so frustrating because there's a systemic issue here within, and, and I'm not trying to, and I've said this before on the podcast, I'm not trying to throw any doctor down, down on the ground or any medical system. That's not the point here, but sometimes it's like the system is so great, but it's also so stupid in the sense that you have to do take Nexium, take this, take that. Sure. But why don't we just do the EUS? And and I get like, there's the risk and reward in that. And I know like the doctors, I've talked to plenty of doctors and they'll say, well, the risks are outweigh the, the reward like of that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, come on, dude, where it's 2000. I mean, even in 2014, we're not talking about 1985 where, Correct. you know, the, you know, this is like, we're in 2022. I mean, now they've got these devices, you know, they could do these uh, ultrasounds that can see through, mm -hmm. you know, all your organs now that are so sophisticated. So, I mean, and these guys, like if you go to a, a, a just a generic, uh, gastroenterologist, he probably does 30 to 40 EUSs, uh, in, in the span of like three to four weeks. So, you know, he's doing hundreds of them a year. So like the odds again, like we're getting better at these procedures. So that's where I kind of think there's like this disconnect with the system, right? Like, if you know this will knock that out of the way right away, then why don't we do that first? Like it's sure. a diagnostic test that we have that we have readily available. Let's just get it out of the way. Like let's just do it. Like let, let, let's let's you know the patient will feel better. The doctor can diagnose, but no, let's give them all these other medications first and let him wait for four weeks while he suffers in pain, and then we'll schedule the EUS. Yeah, yeah, it's that's it was exactly what I experienced. I they did they did do a a um was it a sonogram? I think they uh this is back in 2014 where they looked yeah. at my stomach like how they would yeah, a sonogram, right? See if there's any block or ultrasound, yeah, they, see if there's any blockages or anything. They did an ultrasound, didn't find anything there. 
So yeah. um, here's another round of antibiotics. But <laughs> what, I, what I did was I went on a bike ride. I went on a 40-mile bike ride. Wow. And, um, you know, it was pretty hot that day and I was drinking my water. And when you're done, right, when you're done running, what do you do? You, right, you're, you're drinking when you're running or depending on how long you go, right? You, you, you hydrate when you get back and you eat. Yeah. Well, I did that. Well, what was happening was I had 85% blockage because the tumor was in the middle of my pancreas. And that had sucked up part of my upper GI tract. So in between the jejunum and the duodenum, it was just closed. And no food or liquids was getting through. So I was slowly dying, getting malnutrition. And the numbers didn't show my kidneys function going down, right? Or my liver or any of that stuff yet. Um, but the next day, I imagine going on a, I don't know, maybe a 15 mile run or a 20 mile run and never drinking mm. after that for 24 hours and never eating. That'll, that'll do you in. And so I ended up in the ER and that's when they found out, Robert, your insides are kinked like an inner tube because the tumor in the pancreas sucked up part of your GI tract and it was kind of kinking it. And if I would have went to that, that uh, endoscopy, they would have stuck that scope down my mouth and they would have made those turns and they would have said, there's something impinging mm. inside. You need now need to go to the ER. I mean, to get a CT scan MRI with contrast, right? Yeah. So two months of all that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was finally diagnosed and that was how, it, that's how it happened. So crazy. Uh, it, crazy in the sense that, uh, again, like 2014 is not that far removed and we're not a third world country where, you know, like you have to fight to, you know, and again, I'm not trying to throw any medical system or any doctor, but I just, we, we've got to get better. Right. And, but, you know, let's look at the positives here, like sharing your story. So maybe someone listening, you know, having the same symptoms, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, not being able to hold food down or, or throwing up or, or not getting the, the right answer or uh, that they are comfortable with to push and advocate for yourself to, to ask for an EUS because you feel like, you know, whatever testing or whatever answer they're giving you to, to just take Nexium or to take some over-the-counter drugs just isn't working, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So... That's yeah. And ever since then, uh, because I've been on surveillance where I get scanned every quarter, uh, every six months, uh, because I'm consistent with those, they've always been able to find, um, uh, the recurrence early. And if you can catch these early and if your body can at least, you know, suppress some of what's going on in there. Right. Um, or just, just have a unique case of where, this is your unique uh, cancer and this is how it's affecting your body because everyone's cancer is pretty much different. Everyone has mm -hmm. unique challenges in response to treatment. Mine just happens to be where my system keeps it localized and doesn't spread. And I resp I've responded to standard treatment, but it's not curing me. It's just keeping me alive and treating the symptom like it's a uh, chronic condition and, uh, with a little bit hits of quality of life with the chemo. Um, but, uh, it's good that I've been able to withstand that because now I, I am now here getting this CAR T cell therapy where back three, four, five years ago, it was like, just stay alive, stay alive until something miraculous is going to come along something that's going to be eons ahead of, of, of the barbaric, barbaric and archaic chemotherapy that we know in this first world country is the treatment method of choice <laughs> if you don't make surgery, right? Yeah. And, uh, or a candidate for surgery. And I'm finally here. And hopefully uh, the advancements that everyone's been pushing for, right? takes a village uh, hopefully this this will be it maybe this will get us over the hump but you still got to stay alive right and 
and that's that's the challenge is you got to battle and surviving is is all about getting things right in the mental space and what i call there's an absolute truth and that can cut both ways a lot of people don't like the absolute truth but and they'd rather have a convenient truth right but for me the way i'm wired i want to know the numbers i want to know how they came up with your 96 percent five-year mortality rate and now it's 89 percent right mortality rate five-year correct right yeah because 11 percent is yeah, 11 yeah of that is uh there's ways you can shift yourself from that high risk group especially if you're younger and you're healthy and you don't have as much comorbidity um there's things you can do to be in that lower risk group um and i wish a lot of patients at least were told that or are told that when you first are diagnosed because all you get is oh my gosh you know i don't know how it is now but depending on where you're diagnosed right they'll say get your affairs in order i talk to so many pancreatic cancer patients where they get a stage three stage two and a half stage four diagnosis and they say get your affairs in order and it's like wait a minute give them hope don't always go for that right and if you do tell them that particular statistic at least give some background information on how that statistic was derived right and um the patient will be better off at least in my opinion yeah what do you do for your day job i'm a solutions architect um for a cybersecurity company right that's the easy way of saying it where we go we're actually even more on the tip of the spear right so we're even but yeah that's what i say so i ask not to be nosy here robert but to hear your your thoughts and your processing when you said architect it's kind of similar in line with like engineer and building and, and understanding how systems work and how things equal certain things, right? So when you say, when you said it just hit, you know, hit me, stood out here when I heard you say like, if doctors gave people the information, like, okay, in order to be in this 11, this is what we need to do, right? To be in that 11%, if you do X, Y, and Z versus saying, okay, here's your, you know, go home and get your fears in order, right? Versus, okay, this is systematically, this is what you need to do to get to here, to get into this quadrant or to get into this this area so that we can do these treatments or these treatments have these outcomes and these treatments are being done because of X, Y, and Z to get you to that point. So, cause it's fascinating to hear you, hear you talk that way. Was that something, and I think I may know the answer to this, but was that something that you had from day one or was that something that you've learned over your experiences, like maybe after the first experience realize like, Hey, I got to approach this a different way, or I've got to ask certain questions to get the right answers that I'm looking for. I think I, I've certainly gotten better at it now that I had, have had eight years to practice with my life on the line. (laughs) There is no do-over, right? It's not like you grant theft auto or whatever you're playing and something (laughs) happens and you respond again and you're okay, right? Uh, So uh, I think I was probably pre-wired because when I, I think it probably comes from my upbringing uh, and just how I was just told to, you know, to, to look at, to observe, right? Before you make up your mind, before you go emotional, um, definitely emotion plays a big part in everything we do, right? We're human, right? Uh, and it's very important, right? We, we wouldn't exist if we weren't emotional and we wouldn't exist if we we're purely logical either, right? Uh, but I think I was able uh, to deal with that first initial diagnosis because of, 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 of my mindset. I mean, I, when I first got word sure i mean yeah it was the worst thing ever that's ever happened to me you get hit with a map truck right uh but once i got the news it was never oh great you know um like 
I'm going to die. I never, I never got down on myself. And I said, how am I going to engineer myself outside of this? Right. And so that analytical logical mind took over and I wanted to know what was my true risk. Right. And, um, and once I looked at the statistics and once I read about how those statistics were derived, I thought, okay, okay. You know, I was fairly young. I'm healthy. I don't have many, uh, I don't have compromised immunity. I don't have any lung issues. Right. I'm not saying that because I have that. I'm not going to go downhill pretty quick. I just know that this is what I can do to shift myself to the side. And uh, that's why I uh, was able to handle it. And I just figured out this is what I need to do. The unknown part is taken care of because of my faith. And so I truly don't know what's going to happen. And because of my faith, it's not my life to live, so to speak. It's life is just a feature. Okay. I go through life because I have to serve and whatever happens is whatever happens. And so that is the other part of the equation. And that's why when I get up every day, I try and live the way I, I live because we all hear it, right? Do what you do today because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring or take away. And that rings true. And so my mindset is, I don't have any problems with any of these trivial things that come to me that's going to distract me from what I have to do now. And that's how I'm able to live. I can fully concentrate on enjoying life and helping others because when I help others, that makes me feel alive, even though I have this terminal disease. And so that's how I deal with it. It may be different than someone else, but that's how I deal with it. Um, because it's a village and I have to pay back. Yes, I do have to pay back because that's what my commandments tell me to do. I have to serve. And um, I can never give my doctors, the nurses, the lab, technicians. I can never give back the community, my friends, my wife, uh, people. I can never pay them enough for what they've done to me because I'm here because of modern medicine, right? Um, granted, there are some challenges, okay? But I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the community and all those that helped me. And the only way I can do it is to pay it forward. And that's how I deal with living with cancer. Right. And it, it, you don't ever beat cancer, so to speak, I guess, in, in my terminology, you you live with cancer and you're measured by how you live with it and what you do. And that's how I don't go down that rabbit hole. It's a powerful statement there uh, with how you're dealing with it. I mean. Uh... You've been at this for eight years and, you know, going through your story and, and you know, I, this is just very raw in the sense that a being young, having young kids too. Um, but four times you've gone down, you know, with this diagnosis and to to have to say that, <laughs> you know, and, and to be battling it for eight years is, is powerful, man. I, I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you. I, I mean, I've known, you know, people that, uh, we, we've interacted with people that they've done one round of chemo and then they've just tapped out, right. Because the, the chemo is just too much. And so to hear that coming from an eight year survivor and someone who's, uh, you know, had to go had to hear the words you have cancer four times on four different occasions over the last eight years is, is pretty powerful, man. So thank you for sharing that. No, thanks. Thanks for allowing me to be here uh, and share my story. I, I, I mean, I, I truly believe uh, to a certain extent you could, I think to be healthy, right. Uh, and to have that aerobic or anaerobic exercise, you, to a certain extent you can outrun a bad diet. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Um, but it only works for so much, right? But obviously you want your diet, everything to be good. So all that, right? Some of all those parts, right, are, are very powerful. And I think whenever I'm tired, I force myself to get up and walk and just make some sort of accomplishment because that alone gives me the, how do I say this? The endorphins, right? Endorphins. And then you get the dopamine and you get all that mm -hmm. feel good hormones. And that just kind of gets you amped up while you're going through chemo. So chemo is killing your blood cells. It's making you feel tired. It's going downhill or downhill quick. Right. But then when you do things of accomplishment of physical in nature. And we're going old school analog, right? <laughs> roll with the windows. Don't press the button to roll the window <laughs> down, right? It kind of brings me up this way. So I kind of stay even. And so that's how I've been able to walk my kids to school pretty much every day, right? Carry my daughter to her first, second grade class whenever, you know, whenever I was going through chemo. I mean, and so I, so I think I'm wired to just fight. And as a cyclist, I've never met a mountain that I was never able to climb up. Yeah, sure. I was hurting and I was going really slow and everything was painful, but I made it. Uh, and I could have easily turned back around and went down the other way. And if I did do that, I don't know if I ever did that. Um, I'd return the next day and do it all over again. Because putting yourself in those situations where you just get a win just makes you want to just keep doing it. And that's voluntary. Going through chemo is not voluntary. And if I can do something like that to put me in the hurt locker on a voluntary basis, uh, basis call me crazy, or whatever you want to call it. If I had to get chemo and have surgery, which was involuntary, then it was like, oh, in my mind, I was going to say, huh, I don't have a choice. I'm not playing that mental jujitsu to like, should I get off the bike? Should I stop this run? Can I make it to mile 26? You know, it's, it's going to happen. And that's the absolute truth, right? You got to deal with it. <laughs> so powerful. I've got a couple questions here left for you. Um, and then we're going to share uh, where our audience can connect with you. But my first question here, and, and this is, I've asked these questions before, but it, you know, as I write these down, thinking, you know, back to your experience and, and the wealth of knowledge that you have in the sense, hey, Robert, you've been doing this eight years. And, and so these next couple of questions, I, I'm just going to be really excited to see how you, how you answer these. We, we get this question often here at the foundation. And, and I'm going to tee this up and then I'll, I'll ask you the question. We get calls and they say, well, you know, my neighbor just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer or someone in my family just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. What should I do for them? And so the question to you, Robert, and I know you mentioned friends and family a couple of times here on your faith that has gotten you, help you through this eight year journey here with pancreatic cancer. You don't have to use names, but maybe for our audience listening, and maybe there's someone that their neighbor just got diagnosed or someone in their family, what's some of the best things that your friends and family have done for you in the last eight years? And you don't have to use names or maybe just some examples because, again, I think a lot of people on this side don't know what to do. Right. Or they kind of overthink that question, you know, uh, I'm, and I'm always, I, you know, again, in, in the effort of awareness and, and sharing, like spreading, you know, the power of like, what's the best thing to do? Or, or in this case, you know, for your example, you know, what are some of the things that your friends and family have done over the last eight years that have really meant the world to you? Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's a good question. Uh, that's a good question. I, I believe I could address your question coming from two sides. Uh, I'll first address it coming from my side being the, the patient, okay? Uh, what my friends in neighborhood and community has done for me, uh, at least initially, um, I mean, there's things that they've done, right? There's things like there's a meal train, right? Mm -hmm. They sent flowers, they, they sent cards, right? They were very empathetic, okay? And, uh, they uh, called me on the phone. And sometimes a phone call is all that it takes. It, 
it doesn't even matter if you don't know what to say. It's the fact that you picked up the phone. I mean, who uses phones nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> right? All right. You got to keep me on track here, right? Uh, no, yeah. but I love that. I love that right, because right? people don't, people don't, we've lost the art. Of, like, this is another rabbit hole. We've lost how to communicate. My kid, I, I said, yeah, I have 16 and 18. My 16 year old does not know how, and I'm sure he's not going to listen to this because he's probably too busy doing something else. But I, I feel like these kids today, and this is a bigger problem, don't know how to communicate. People have lost the art of communication. I don't know if that's pandemic, social media, technology. I don't know. Take your pick, but. <laughs> Yeah, a combination of all that. And a lot of it is convenience, right? Yeah. We're humans, we take the easy way out, right? Yeah. Why take yeah. the long route when you can go over the mountain pass, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, a phone call goes a long way. And, and then if I, I had a buddy who called me and he just said, hey, is, is this Robert? I'm like, yeah. And then for a while, I mean, he, he didn't say anything, right? And I'm like, that's all I needed because... Uh, and so I get it. I get it. Uh, from the, the, the patient side, I mean, from the other side now, because I had a, a friend, a dear friend of mine that was diagnosed with cancer and he fought for two, two years and he passed away um, about six months ago. And um, we were like this. Okay. And um, at times I looked at that phone and I said to myself, Hey, don't bother him. Right. He's going through some things. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe wait for tomorrow, but you know what? I fought through that as a patient myself. And I dialed that phone, you know, and I said, Tim, I said, Tim, I just want to talk to you. Like if not a good time, that's fine. At least I called, right? Um, sometimes I understand why uh, friends, colleagues won't call. They may have some issues that they're going through themselves, right? And so as a patient, just because someone doesn't call, you got to fight that urge to say, you know, why didn't that guy call? I talked to him every day. And all of a sudden, when he found out that I was diagnosed, I haven't heard from him yet, right? You don't know what other people are going through. And believe me, in some cases, they may be going through another episode of something they just went through four years ago because their father or mother or, mm -hmm. or brother, right, passed away from maybe not even pancreatic cancer. It could have been anything else. So I would say, to answer your question, people showing their human side to me as a patient was the best thing that they could ever do. Okay. And the other thing is, uh, and I think the best thing we could do for someone who's facing some sort of diagnosis is at least, you know, just show them that you care. Maybe the words won't come out right, but they will understand. And I just, right. And, and, and that's probably a long answer to your, to your question, but. No, but, I, yeah, th there's no right or wrong to these. Yeah. Robert. And I, I think that's the, that's the great thing. And I, I think just like every cancer diagnosis is different. I think what I found is everyone is different. And, and I think though, giving people ideas is really the start, right? Like, and to your point, like anyone can make the phone call, right? Like it, 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 you can just make a call to a friend and just say, hi, like, Hey, I'm thinking about you, you know, or, Hey, you know, I, I'm thinking of starting a meal train. Are you cool with that? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a great idea, man. Cause you know, I get really zapped at the end of the day and I don't have a lot of energy to cook or anything. So that'd be awesome. You know? So I, I think you, you answered that perfectly. My next question and this is a loaded question, um, and this might be hard. And why I preface this is because of, um, again, it's loaded and it's a thought-provoking one. But I hate to pin it to one piece. But what advice would you give someone listening to this? I know, again, you come from this perspective of being down this road four different times, been at this fight eight years. 
Um, are there a couple top high level things that you would say to someone listening that maybe just got diagnosed? What I first and foremost do, obviously, um, being a cancer patient survivor myself, right? Is I mean, I mean, I understand what they will be going through, right? Maybe their situation will be different, but I understand, right? Um, so, but what I do tell them is they have to find a nonprofit like the one that I work with on a regular basis, right? Like PanCan or even your site, right? Because as I shared earlier, patient stories and their experience, just the fact that they know that there are survivors gives them hope. And hope is all we really need as pancreatic cancer patients. We need hope. It's all we got because uh, we want to feel normal, right? And so when you find those people who are going through uh, the same challenges you are, then amongst your peers, yeah, you feel normal, right? So go to those websites, right? And I would say go to PanCan um, because they do a really good job of breaking down what you're facing with. And I'm sure there are, there are other sites that are out there that are just as wonderful that I have not come across, right? Um, because they will, that they will give you the information just straight. And that's the absolute truth. I keep talking about absolute truth, right? Because as as being engineering focused, right? You mm -hmm. want to know who your opponent is. You want to know everything about that person or that disease. So you could intelligently plan your, uh, uh, your treatment. And so um, that will go a long way because you will find friendship, you will find others that are doing the same or sharing the same experience. And that's what we do as humans anyway, whether you have this or not, you gravitate to people who are doing common things with you. And that'll instantly make you feel included as opposed to like excluded, right? Because I know how a diagnosis can be, right? You're the only one that has it. You don't want to share it. I did this to me. Why me? Right? That's a bad rabbit hole. Find those others who are going through there and through those organizations right? You will find people who are doing good work. And that right there is very contagious. So I try and follow in the footsteps of giants. I mean, all the people who are helping the pancreatic cancer community, all those people who are being very courageous to just spread the word to, to just find a cure, right? They're doing that because they care, right? And that's what I would say just attach with those people because that will uplift you. Of course, then you have your friends and family, right? Yeah. But everyone's situation is different. So, so yeah, it's so powerful. And, and, you know, kudos to PanCan. As I know we talked before we hit record, they're a great group. And we mention them all the time on the, the podcast. They're, they're the leader in the space. And they even have an 800 number, I think, you know, that people can just reach yeah. out when they're diagnosed. And, you know, we offer patient financial aid and uh, I just took a call the other day and, and someone uh, got our number from PanCan. And so it's it's awesome that, you know, they're referring people to us for patient financial aid that we're in a, a position to help. But we also refer people to them because they're the specialists. They can kind of like, to your point, they'll give you kind of what's available and they'll, they'll do kind of, I believe like a, they won't diagnose you, but if you have a diagnosis, you can give them all the information in terms of your tumor and where you are in your staging. And then they'll support you uh, finding clinical trials and, and know your tumor board registry that they have. So they have a lot of great resources. So um, I, I love your advice there. That's just awesome. Uh, Last question here, and then we're going to share with our audience where people can hopefully connect with you. As you've mentioned, connections quite a bit here. Sure. But this is uh, this is probably the hardest question. We always save it for the last uh, question for our guests. There's no right or wrong to this. And again, this is a, another loaded question from yours truly. But given your experience, what's your definition of the word pancreatic cancer? How do you define it? Um. I'm going to define that as it applies to me because that way it only applies. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly <laughs> what I much, want. It's a much easier answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pancreatic cancer to me is the worst thing that ever happened to me. 
but on the other hand is the best thing that happened to me. Um, it was a gift that I didn't ask for, right? But now I have the gift and I have the gift to give back. And that truly what makes me alive. I, you know what? I mean, I don't know how I would be able to have done this if it weren't for me to just give back somehow because uh, that's what drives me. And because I am not only helping it's myself, I'm also helping others. But it's the thing that, in my opinion, in my faith, is what all humans should do, is, is help, right? And respect and, and be there for others. And that's what allows me to get up every day and just face my disease over and over and over again. It reminds me that the world doesn't revolve around me. It's a village. And without that, I, I'd be alone. And being alone is it's very tough. And I'm not fighting this battle alone. And so that's my answer to what you say is pancreatic cancer. Robert, that's a pretty powerful man. And I appreciate you uh, sharing your journey here with us on this podcast. And, and I think you capped it off with how you define that. And I know there's probably people listening that probably disagree with how they feel about that, but that's okay. They haven't experienced what you have experienced in your journey, but it's, it's truly a blessing to be in that position. And hopefully people at some point will, will find that similarity or, or maybe they'll never get there. Who knows? Um, but the way you have fought is inspiring. And uh, I just really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share your journey. And I, I took a lot of notes here and uh, providing hope to people who are battling is something you said early on. And I wrote it here at the top, man. And, and everything that you've said has kind of been in line with that. So I, I really appreciate you being a guest here on the podcast. Thanks, Dino. One last thing here, if our audience listening at home, if someone uh, just got diagnosed or has someone battling, they want to connect. I know you have a website. Where's the best place for people to connect with you and learn more and, and stay on top of, of your journey um, as you go through this with pancreatic cancer? The, uh, the best place would be my website that is still a work in progress, but uh, there's a form. If they want to reach out to me, they could connect to me, fill out the form. And then I could get back to them, um, cool. and I've been I've been doing that quite a bit for the last eight years. Um, been a, a one guy just trying to help people when they hear about Robert has pancreatic cancer, and then they go, "He does? I never knew that." <laughs> it's because because everybody around me has made me like think I'm normal, and that's all I really yeah. want to be. So my website is robertduranduran.com. Just repeat so, that one more time. I think we had a blip there. Sorry. It's robertduranduran.com. Okay. I, 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 thought, I thought we had a blip, but it's durandduran.com, just like the, the band, Robert yeah, Durandduran. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, yeah and I, 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 the website just has just the short intro on, on me, and there's a contact form there. And so that's the best way to get a hold of me. And it, I'm, I'm trying to update that with the latest information on the CAR-T uh, therapy trial. Uh, I think I'm patient number 13 in the United wow. States to undergo uh, this particular type of uh, therapy for a solid pancreatic cancer tumor. So I think people are interested in seeing how this, this, this goes. So it's awesome. Yeah. Robert, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you liked today's episode, feel free to share this episode. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, please be safe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>